welcome to Vineyard KC West podcast. For more information, visit us at vineyardkcwest.com. So we are doing, uh, this week, we're just doing a one-off message. And so, in other words, it's just not tied to a series or whatnot. And so uh, we just got done with Summer in the Psalms. So we looked at a different psalm each week and, and kind of tried to get language for our time. And so for the next, for the next today, uh, we're, just, we're just doing a one-off message. Um, and then next week, we're doing a two-week talk on, uh, on the church in the kingdom. And so uh, Jesus talked mostly, uh, out of any subject, he talked about the kingdom of God. And uh, studies have been shown, though, what's interesting is that's one of the least talked about topics uh, by churches. Uh, And so you'll see it referenced if it's in the passage or whatnot. But so the first week, we're going to talk about what is the church, okay? So in other words, it's pretty good to say, like, what are we doing? Okay, what are we doing here? And then the next week is we're going to talk about the kingdom of God. So that's the next two weeks. But today, we're actually going to be in John chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. And so you can open your Bible or app and whatnot, and and you can turn there. Words are also be on the screen. But um, what we're going to see today is we're going to see Jesus model a spirituality that's naturally supernatural. Uh, Spirituality that uh, that is just somebody being themselves, and yet the very life of God interacts in time and space. Like they didn't have to like ratchet it up or put on a different suit or become somebody else for God to invade time and space. And this was important to me when I, on my journey with God. I, I grew up out in the country, and so for me, I saw church buildings, I heard people discuss different religions. And uh, I never was really drawn to religion. I'm still not. I, I just, I've never, like the whole thing, and people talk about it like they're choosing a car and which one's better, and, and I think they're missing the point. Uh, and so for me, I always experience God like in the country, like outdoors, and so I, through creation and, and um, the environment and whatnot. And so, but in my teens, I remember the first time I think I, I noticed that God was maybe personal, And my dad was uh, getting his MBA at at Cal Poly University in San Luis Obispo, California. And and, uh, they have this thing called Poly Royal. And so there's this big party and they have booths with all the different clubs and stuff. And it was the first like track or like evangelism that I got. And it was this square track and it had Jesus with these big, long, like big, long hair and beard and he's surfing. And he's just like tearing it up on this wave. And it's like, yes. Jesus is king of the waves too. And as a surfer, I'm just like, wow. And so I, I looked at this and, and, uh, and so, it, but what struck me was, is that it was God like personal in real life. Whereas I looked at religion or the building and stuff and I was just like, it doesn't add up. Like that may help you, but it, but it didn't add up to me. And so uh, it all changed though. Shortly after that, I ran into some people at the vineyard there the Vineyard Church in San Luis Obispo, and, and they invited me to hang out and stuff. And then we went on this ski trip, and um, I didn't know how to act at church. These people did, most of them, and the kids and stuff. But on the trip, um, the people, what I noticed was, because there was skiing and hanging out and going down uh, sled rides and all kinds of stuff, what I noticed was is that the people were the same when they were hanging out having fun. And for me, that was big because... Um, you know, I was struggling in some different ways, and it was the most fun I had had in years. 
And these people that were having so much fun riding these sleds and skiing and doing all this stuff, when they started to teach the Bible, which was my first experience of Bible, or, or they started to lead worship like Nikki and the team were up here, like they were the same people. They didn't put on a different suit or they didn't put on a different style or, or talk differently or do their hair differently. They were, they were just the same people. And when they taught the Bible and when they worshiped God, that's when God got me. Because just God's presence was in that place and in me and, and, and I gave my life to Jesus. But it was because everything that was done was so powerful and supernatural. Like, you know, it was amazing. It was this thing like, wow. I was just, in, I encountered God. But the people, the vessel was just natural. And so that's kind of a picture of, of, of naturally supernatural uh, where ordinary people just are kind of themselves and then God works through that. Like we don't have to ratchet it up. And it's actually, it's really a, like a distinctive of the vineyard. I'm not saying other people don't have it, but it's something that the vineyard group of churches have said, this is us. And, and, and that's, that's why for me, I think I found the vineyard is because like I didn't recognize or equate God with the buildings that said they were with God for some reason, right? As a kid, you know, but it was like, but then all of a sudden when I saw God, I knew when he showed up. So this whole idea of naturally supernatural is, is that, you know, avoiding hype, like avoiding emotion, you know, emotional manipulation, that kind of stuff. And so, so, uh, you know, it's kind of a tradition that like when God's moving and stuff, you, you don't dial it up. You dial it down because you want it to be God. You want God to do things. And so it's not about manipulation. It's, it's uh, you know, us being ourselves and, and allowing God to be himself too. Um, and so that's why, like, we talk about, like, training you guys and helping you guys. Like, hey, you can do all the stuff Jesus did in life. And so let's look at this passage in John chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, and we're going to see a wedding party in, with supernatural expectation, right? I mean, it's just rich with life. I mean, you've got Jesus. You've got Jesus' mom. It, you know, you've got the disciples were invited to the party too. And, and, and it's in this little town called Cana, uh, which was just right outside of Nazareth, uh, just a little bit down the road in, in this region of Galilee. And so small town wedding, and they're having a party, and, and it's a good time. And we enter the story in verse 1. It says, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Uh, he says, woman, why do you involve me? Jesus, Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Uh, right there, right? That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Uh, the line that Mary says there, just FYI, like we could, we could just stop our time today and just take it like, all right, do whatever Jesus tells me, right? Just I'm, I'm just going to do that. And so, so Mary knows something here. But Jesus was invited to a lot of parties. Uh, Jesus was invited to a lot of dinner parties, uh, to weddings and, and other times. So right there, when we talk about this naturally supernatural, God himself, 100% man, 100% God, they were joined in this person of Jesus and yet people loved to have this Jesus, this, this man at their parties. Like he wasn't the killjoy, right? Like when he was there, there was more life that was brought. 
And so you filter that through the perception of some people is that Christians like don't have any fun, right? I, I knew for me that was kind of, even after I, I met Jesus, my journey was is like, uh, like if I fully surrender, like if I really kind of, you know, just keep, you want more of me, God, but I'm not going to have any fun in life. And I'll tell you what, I, I've had so much fun on multiple continents and in, in life. And, and I mean, the journey, it, it's way more fun than anything I could have designed. But Jesus was always invited to these parties. Uh, now to run out of wine at a wedding was a major social faux pas. I mean, it was bad stuff, like for the bride and groom. And so you have this young couple starting out life, and this would be something in a small community that would be brought up for years. They would be the ones, no matter how successful they were, and it was really kind of an insult almost to the people that you didn't have enough wine for them. And so this was a bad thing that was going down here. And then uh, we see that Mary had an expectation of, of Jesus doing something, uh, because she goes up to Jesus uh, and, and she says, they have no more wine. I mean, she doesn't think that Jesus is like a, a distributor. You know, like, can you get one of your trucks over here and, and give him some wine? He doesn't have connections. She's thinking that he can do something in the natural that's supernatural. So also, too, remember Mary, uh, she was shamed, right? Just like this couple could have been if things went bad. Uh, because why? Because she was the one that all the rumors went around that, that, she, that she was pregnant out of wedlock. And Joseph still married her, but there was this weird thing. And I mean, she said that God did it, Right? And so she probably saw Jesus as a young boy and, and throughout his life rely upon the Holy Spirit and show his will and his identity and do miracles. You know, I mean, maybe she ran out of something one time and Jesus just multiplied it by the power of God. And so she's like, oh, 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 Jesus can do this. And so she goes to Jesus and, and says, you know, do, do whatever he tells you. But I love the expectation here. I love that Mary has an expectation that God would do something in the midst of a party, right? Uh, that, that, that it's not about it just being at the temple, that that's where God does stuff. And it's not that you had to be doing something religious for God to do something, but God was right there. And also, too, that he cared about silly things like enough wine. Like, that's pretty intimate, too. Like, Believing in God enough that he cares about these little things that we care about. And so I love the expectation. And it's just, it's so challenging, right? It's so challenging to think beyond our borders that way. So the next thing we see in verse 6 is we see that Jesus makes really good stuff, right? You know, like you, you go somewhere and, and whether, it's, uh, whether it's food or drink or whatever, and, and you know, it's kind of like you look at the price and, and you look at maybe what you can afford or maybe you look at what you like. And, and sometimes the price doesn't matter when it comes to wine and other things, but, but we see that, you know, there's the good stuff, right? I want to have the good stuff tonight. Well, what Jesus, what we see is, is he makes really good stuff, he makes really good wine. That's what we're going to see. So verse 6, it says, Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used for the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Don't you love the expectation there? Like the faith, right? Jesus says, Fill the stone water jars, and they're filling them to the brim. But it's this thing that has to do with the law. 
So the ceremonial jars had to do with all of the people had to cleanse themselves and wash themselves in a certain way so that they could be clean when they ate at this wedding. So they could be clean with everyone else. And so it's this picture like Jesus baptizes, in a sense, these tools that are used for the law, the old way of trying to know God. And yet there's this new way, and now they're going to be used to bring new wine, like something new out of the old. And so it's a beautiful scene. In verse 8, it says, Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. Now again, key line, Mary said, Do whatever he says to you. Now you see these guys, they do it. It says they did so. So they have great faith. They have great faith and they have very little to go on. And yet they're having great faith in Jesus. And this is the beginning of his ministry. And so they didn't have all kinds of data to go off of. They're just believing in him. And so it says they did so. And they stepped out, like they're stepping out onto the water. They're stepping out into this place, following after that. Because imagine this, the master of the, the banquet, it, he is to taste the wine at this part of the, the, the time because they had been looking for more wine. They ran out and you're going to learn something about how things normally went at the weddings. And it's this kind of part of the ceremony, part of the whole deal. And they, they bring the wine to the master of ceremony, and what if it's just water? I mean, and and think about it this way. What if it hadn't changed yet? You know, like you're the servant, and you dip it, and it's just water, and you've got the ladle, let's say it's a ladle, and you're walking over there, and you're saying to your buddy, the partner, you're like, man, it's just water. We are going to get thrown out here. We're going to look so silly. We're going to, and some of you are going through times like that in your lives right now. Like you've stepped out. You've trusted God in a way. Uh, and we all are, right, with, the, with everything that's going on in the world in some way. But you are trusting God with certain things. And you're deciding, I'm not going to go by my emotions. I'm not going to go by what people tell me. I'm not going to go by my own wisdom or background. But I'm going to trust God because I believe God has told me that to do such and such in this. And I'm, I'm going to believe him on this. And some of you are in that place. You're walking to the master of ceremonies and you're like, it's still water. I mean, what if it didn't turn to wine until it touched his lips? Or even you ever eat something and it's got like a trailing taste? Like it tastes one way at first and then all of a sudden, like what if it became wine as it kind of settled? We don't know. But it's a picture of faith. It's a picture of faith and and trusting in Jesus. So in verse 9, it says, And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. I mean, these guys are feeling really good right now, right? I mean, this is amazing. This guy is happy. Then he called the bridegroom aside. And here's why the master of ceremonies is happy. He said this, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This is like that exceeding your expectations moment when you go out to eat, or exceeding your expectations when you maybe need a 
a piece of clothing that you're buying at a store, or you maybe purchase a vehicle, or you have a problem with a product, and they exceed your expectations, and you are just a, you're, you are just a, a fan, and you want to tell everybody. This is the moment that he says, look, everybody does this. They put out the, the good wine at first, and then when everybody's had too much, then they put out the bad stuff because they don't notice. And he's saying, you guys have done something exceptional. And so it's this naturally supernatural that's happening here with Jesus with the good stuff is Jesus, these servants, all of them make these people that would have been zeros into heroes. These people that would have looked terrible right about this time, this very moment, these people would have looked so silly and bad, something that would ripple all throughout their lives, the shame that would be told, the shame that would be put on their kids. Like parents, you know, I mean, the kids would be told like, you know, at school, like, oh, you're the no wine family. Oh, you're the run out of wine family, right? Small, small town. Everybody remembers. But in this moment of, 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 of being stretched and not being in that place, and we don't even know if the couple knew. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't, that they had run out. Maybe they didn't have enough money to get wine, and they're just hoping that it would get by. But in this moment, God does something amazing, and there wasn't pomp and circumstance. It was not this huge ceremony. Nobody stood up and said, I declare that it's wine right? Nobody did that. You don't see Jesus do that. You see him just say, fill him, take it. And he, he, Jesus does miracles in all sorts of ways. So the style here was natural. Like Jesus did his own style. He didn't become somebody else for God to move in a certain way. And it's a model for you and I. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this, but it's, it says Jesus strikes again. The sign says bottled water. So yeah, there you go. And it's a bunch of wine. But, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's that kind of thing, right? Um, uh, I mean, think about that. We read these stories, and Mary had an expectation. The servants had faith in Jesus, and Jesus was ready to do something in the midst. And it's his first miracle. In verse 11, it says, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of signs through which he revealed his glory. And his disciples believed him. Yeah, they did. You know, I mean, they're ready. I mean, they had seen other things before, but now they're like, wow, who is this that we're with? And so when we are naturally supernatural like Jesus, and we let our faith permeate like our real life and, and where we're at, whether it's school or whether it's work or whether it's our neighborhood um, or even our home. When we do that, what happens is, is that people's lives are changed. You see, you guys, there's this false idea that the way that people come to know Jesus is by going to church. Like, in other words, the initial. It's always somebody. How do they get there? Very few will come there because of our website or, or, or through uh, some, you know, something on social media or whatever. Very few. I mean, if they're looking for it, if they already have a context for God, they may do that. But what if they're like me? 
Like, what if they don't necessarily equate God to the building or to the religion? Like, they just don't have a clue because they're non-religious. They weren't raised that way. The only way that they know is by being at places like a wedding, and all of a sudden, God shows up. I mean, how do you argue with that? That's why when I first became a Christian, there was some people around me that kind of pushed like this kind of like, you know, you got to be able to argue with people and like convince them about all of this stuff about God. And there's a time and a place for that, as long as that what's the person is looking for. But I never asked that question. It was just kind of like, hey, I'm, I got double barrels loaded and here's all the stuff. And I'm going to prove to you that all this is real. And it was pretty frustrating because people people would be like, yeah, I guess what you're saying is right, but I don't know. I'm like, wait a minute. I did the thing and I explained the thing to people and people are still like, I don't know. And then as I got around some other people, they kind of shared this idea. It's like, hey, what's God doing in that person's life? Good question, right? Like, like did I think that like God wrote in with me? Like when I, when I drove in, like he had never known that. Oh, thanks for introducing me to this person, Cody. This is wonderful. No, God knows this person from the beginning of time. And so when I walk up to this other part of the crown jewel of God's creation, God has known them always and loves them. And he's already working in their life. And so, so I, I started to learn like, oh, I, I would start to ask God, like anytime I go anywhere, God, what are, you, what are you doing today? And, and show me what you're doing. I mean, it's a concept um, that uh, in John chapter 5, it, Jesus does that. He, sa- he says, I only do what I see the Father doing. So in other words, Jesus is very intentional about what he did, but what he was doing was what he saw his Father working. So in a crowd, that's why Jesus would see a certain person or a certain thing, and he would go after him. It's just like as you drive around here, uh, you know, there's cornfields and soybean fields. Soybean because you plant soybeans, corn because you plant corn. That's the har- what's going to be the harvest. And so that is with God. He's moving in different people's lives in different ways. Some people are ready. Some people aren't. And so the key as a follower of Jesus is to notice what God is doing in people's lives. And then to partner with him in that. I mean, isn't that fun? When we took communion a couple weeks ago, that's one of the things we, we like recommitted to is, is we said, we said we recommit to this ministry of reconciliation, like that that's what God is doing on the earth. Like, you know, if you think of, of count, accounting, right, or your bank statement, right, you guys all, I know you, when you get that bank statement, you reconcile your bank account and your checking account, right? You do all that, right? But it's, it's making sure that the numbers that are here match the numbers that are here. You reconcile it. You make it the way that it should be. And just like the bank statement that you get typically is always right, God's equation over here is the right one. And so God's bringing people back into here so that they have full health, full life. And so we get to partner in that. So in verse 12, it says, After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. Again, Jesus naturally supernatural. Like he didn't all of a sudden like, bask in this or what he's just like great you know we did it right because it's his, it's his reality he rejoiced at everything that happened but it doesn't say like he set up shop there and like had this like I'm going to put a throne out here and like he got that God had so much more to do and that's why I included this verse typically when people teach it they don't include this because because they're like oh this doesn't have to do with the miracle 
But yes, it does. This has everything to do with the miracle. This has to do with that he was naturally supernatural. Like the supernatural came, but he was natural. It's like, it's like saying like afterwards, like, yeah, then afterwards they just went and hung out. It wasn't like they, they, they did some big religious thing. And so this was Jesus' first recorded public miracle. So the first of signs which revealed his glory. So like the weight of who he really was, that he was God in the flesh, that was partnering with the Holy Spirit and the Father to bring about the reconciling of men and women to know him, the invasion of his kingdom. And it says that his disciples believed in him. Now, Jesus came back to Cana, we read in John chapter 4. He came back later, and he, he was actually came across a government official. And the government official, his son was sick, had a high fever. He was down in Capernaum, and he says to him, he's like, hey, come and help me. And Jesus is like, man, you guys just want a sign. And so Jesus comes back, and he's like, I'm not going to play games. Like, and then he's like, okay, please help me. And he says, your son will be well. And he goes back. And his son recovered at that very moment that Jesus declared that. So you see Jesus doing things in this area. Why is that? Because they were hungry. Like he saw God moving on hearts and lives. There was a harvest to be had there. And um, there's this video I want to show you guys um, in just a minute. Um, And uh, it's it's of Eleanor Mumford. Uh, She's English. And so you will love her. Within about three seconds, you'll want to for her to be your grandmother. Uh, you know, she is just amazing. But um, I heard her share this story several years ago, and um, it's so encouraging, and it's a great example. It's just a wonderful story of somebody like you and I just being naturally supernatural and partnering with, with God and what he's doing, and not really necessarily having much faith or experience with it, but just God does something. And so... Um, after the story, um, I'll talk a little bit more about this, but when you have this idea of, of, um, of being naturally supernatural, there's some things you can do, and these are important, is we need to move on from secular to sacred, right? There's this idea that, that like church and religious activities are sacred, and then there's this secular world, and that's that. No, everything is sacred. Everything is dripping with the presence of God. This is his world. This is his place. So everything that I do and everywhere I go is sacred. And so I move on from that idea because all is able in the moment for the kingdom of God to break in, for the way God has it in heaven to be in that place. The next thing is, is to adopt the naturally supernatural approach to life and spirituality. So it's like, I don't like, you know, I don't like put on this thing. I just am who I am. And I'm somebody that's knowing God. And in that, I just see where he's working and join him in that. So you be yourself, right? And then the next thing is, is this, you guys, if you're going to adopt this, is that you can learn to do the stuff that Jesus did. So it's not also something that like there's super special people. And then there's some people that kind of get to watch those people do it. Like those people are the pros. You can learn to partner with God and do the things that Jesus did, like that we talked about today, right? But it's, it's the way you learn is by doing it. It's repetition. The way you learn is by looking silly sometimes. The way you learn is in expectation at weddings and other places and just saying, God, what are you going to do? And I went from this place of not knowing any of that, but
But people, people taught me, hey, here's this, and, and do you see this? It seems like God's working here. Why don't you go pray for that person and see if God speaks to you about that? So that's what, that's what, we, that's what we, we, do, we try to do here, right? Like when we have the times at the end that we pray for each other and stuff, and when we have the classes on how to hear the voice of God and pray for people, like that's what we're training you to do. Because it's something you can learn to do if you make it a part of your life. And, and I've heard stories of you guys doing that. And I would say that when you do it, you see it change and happen a lot more. When you don't do it, you don't chew on that, right? It's just like when you, when you come with expectation, one of my mentors just taught me this. It's just like when you go to church or you, you go to the market, you go somewhere, just like, God, would you, would you give me something to give somebody else? Would you give me something to give somebody else? And then, and, then, and then it's like you're looking for it, right? And, and then when you see it, then, then the faith comes in and you got to do it. But let's hear this story from Eleanor Mumford right here as she shares. I don't know if you guys did something. This isn't working. I have a wonderful story which I share of my friends in a vineyard in the west of Norway. And there was a girl in their church who'd been to one of their healing classes because the beauty of the vineyard, the thing that we loved at the very beginning was that we were told that we could learn to do this. We could learn to do it. Jesus taught his disciples, then he let them do it. He watched them, he sent them out. We can do this, we can train our people to become increasingly proficient at caring for the sick and praying for healing. So this girl had been to one of their little groups and she wrote this. She said, I was on my way home from Bible school and as I got on the bus, I noticed a girl there that I hadn't seen in over 10 years. I didn't know what to say to her, but she made room for me beside her and I thought I'd better sit down by her. She had a baby and so I said to her, is it fun to have a baby? And she said, no. (laughs) And I thought to myself, I'm reading this verbatim, it's so sweet. I thought to myself, I should never have asked her that question and I should never have taken this seat. But the young mother started to tell about how difficult life had been for her. She had once been a part of the church. She'd gone away from the church. She had a boyfriend. She'd found herself with child. Her mother insisted she had an abortion, but God bless her, she refused. She had her baby, and as she gave birth to her baby, when her mother saw her grandchild, she continued to say she should have had an abortion because the child looked so ugly. The baby was born with an open, cleft lip. As she said, I could clearly see. I felt so sorry for her, and I knew God was asking me to pray for her, as I'd been taught at the vineyard, and I felt more and more embarrassed, and I got annoyed arguing with God. Imagine that. God, she said, I'm not interested in praying here on this bus. This is so embarrassing. This is a small city. Everyone knows each other. It's not going to happen anyway. Oh, isn't it real? So I leaned towards her, asking in a tiny, small voice, is it okay if I pray? I made myself as little as I could. I'm reading. And with a very quiet voice and speaking very fast, afraid that people in the bus might hear me, God, will you please interfere in this situation? (laughs) It's a good prayer. Would you interfere? I looked down at the baby and there, the open lip had disappeared. There was no sign. No sign. No sign. 
of what was there before. It gets better. The lip was perfectly normal. I screamed. The mother cried. I thought, I am insane. This is not possible. I checked the baby's lip. I couldn't believe what had just happened. The mother screamed. She didn't understand anything. We cried. I got her cell number. A little later, she called me and told me that she'd been back to the hospital. And what I didn't know was the baby's heart was in serious condition. Its lungs didn't work as they should. Its kidneys were in extremely bad condition. Its urine had a strange color. And test after test, the baby got better and better. And when the mother traveled to the main hospital in Oslo and the baby was re-examined, they said, this is impossible. The baby in your arms is different from the baby on our records. The baby in our records needed extremely much help not to die, but the baby you are holding is 100% well. And why I love, why I love that story and why I tell it, she was so ordinary, she was so shy, she was so frightened, she was so unsure, her faith was so low, but because she loved Jesus, she obeyed his commandments and God came in and did the rest. It's a wonderful thing, a wonderful thing. Yeah, isn't that good? Isn't that good? So encouraging, so encouraging. What I love about this story is, is that there was so much that she didn't know, right? Like the cleft lip was enough, right? And she didn't, like, and that's the thing is there's this bar that's set so high, like I have to be this great practitioner or whatever, but it's just simple faith, ordinary people trusting an extraordinary God. And, and here's the thing too. God may not ask you like to pray for a baby that has all these issues or whatever. God may not ask you to pray for a sick person. He may ask you to make some cookies for your neighbor. You don't know because he works through cookies he works through prayer. He works through all kinds of stuff. But the key is, is to do what he asks you to do. I mean, that, that's, it's really that simple. Because he's doing stuff and he, he brings healing and life to the world through you and I. Like, that's how he's always done it. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that, that he does it through you and I? And so, uh, let's stand and, and we're, Nikki's going to lead us in another song of worship here. And um, I want to challenge you. I want, you, I want to challenge you to just like, if this is your heart, is just a simple prayer to the Lord is to say, God, use me like that. It's up to him, the scenarios, but just a simple prayer as we're worshiping. If that's your faith, is just say, God, use me like that. Which, let's break that down. Caring for somebody that God loved. That's it. That's what it means. Use me to care for somebody that you love and help me to have the faith to follow through and do it. Simple prayer. Pray it while we're worshiping and I'll come back up at the end. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit vineyardkcwest.com. 